This is the Cast. I don't know about you, but like the way that news was churning out today and the other day, it just kind of feels like bad news for the Canucks is bound to drop at some point. I mean, it still can. It's still very early in silly season, which we can also get into side piece. It's very bizarre that I've never heard the term silly season until today. Or sorry, yeah. this past week. And everyone's using the term silly season. Did I miss a memo that said, hey, everyone call this offseason silly season? I, I, you might have, you know, you might have like you and I are not, you know what? You and I are not, uh, in the media, like in the, in the, uh, the NHL, like media sites, like we don't have access to like those, <laughs> like the things that like the credentialed media do. So maybe yeah. they got sent that press release early, like a few days ago or something. They like, sent it to the, the PHWA NHL, saying yeah, the, you have the to NH- call it silly season. Yeah, the NHL announces silly season presented by Scotiabank. Or, or oh, yeah, mass, this, this, this mass, Scotiabank the Scotiabank silly season. Mutual, the, yeah, the Mass Mutual NHL silly season is is back in is back with the Bridgestone presented by Bridgestone, like the official tire of silly season. The official <laughs> like, tire of silly season. I mean, and now there's I mean there's even more coming out right now. I mean, like oh. Elliot Friedman saying like this is from Taj nineteen forty four. It uh, doesn't sound like there were many contract talks with either Edler or Hamannick before very recently. Confirms Canucks made offers to both. That says to me that the Canucks were doing what, what the Canucks were doing was trying to figure out what was going on out there, trade and free agent market. Um, and like we'll Jeez. get into Canucks stuff today. It's not at the top yeah. of our list. There but is us, some. There are there is some that normally would be like at the top of our list yeah. of not things today. to talk about. Not today. And you know what? I'll give the Canucks credit because a little bit of credit right now. Because right now they're they're trying to figure out like if they are indeed trying to figure out what is going on in the trade of free agent market before making any rash decisions. That's they can say they've done more than Ken Holland and the Edmonton Oilers have done. <laughs> where Ooh. in the last 24 hours. They made a trade that already was not great to begin with. Yeah. Uh, has now gotten a lot worse. Yeah. So that's... it's been a wild, it's been a wild, like, 48 hours. It's been incredible. Yeah. Welcome, folks, to episode 129 of the Crease Cast. And uh, we actually have things to talk about. Last episode yeah. was kind of like just, like, shooting the shit, kind of talking about things. But, like, really, we were, we were stretching it real thin there. But... All the NHL GMs waited until this week, uh, starting Monday, to do their thing by making themselves look like the stupidest uh, people on the planet. Starting with uh, the man that built the Detroit Red Wings. Have you heard about this? Have you heard about uh, Ken Holland and how he was uh, the GM of the Detroit Red Wings? Have you ever heard him talk about this? I, I he's, haven't. He's mentioned I it a few times. Jay Leno. I, ha- I have not Jay Leno. Have what you heard about this? Have you heard about, about this? Um, yeah. Because I, I think... I don't even know how many episodes ago this was, but I remember talking about how Ken Holland sounded really smart in his postseason availability with media when he was basically talking about the Oilers getting swept and basically talking about like the pain and all that you have to go through like before you finally build a contender. And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like I get it. Like he's not willing to jump the gun and do anything brash, but then he, he traded a player and, and yeah. a conditional pick for a player with absolutely zero value who wanted out of the Chicago Blackhawks carries a five and a half million dollar cap hit for the next two seasons. 
is 37 years old and is completely washed. And in his media availability when discussing why he made this trade for Duncan Keith, Ken Holland said, or he equated it, sorry, to acquiring Chris Chelios. Yeah. What? Chris Chelios, or sorry, Duncan Keith is not Chris Chelios when he was acquired by the Red Wings anymore. He might have been close three years ago. He might have been close. I mean, he he is like Chris Chelios in the fact that when he's a defenseman from Chicago that Ken Holland has picked up, that that might be fair. Um, But. Uh, he is not Chris Chelios in practice, in yeah. um, in execution. <laughs> um, yes. Chris, I think I I I know the tweet you're getting that from. I think that or like there was like a tweet that somebody discussed about that whole thing where that that specific reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and one and the thing that they brought up was that Chris Chelios, the season before Ken Holland had picked him up and brought him to Detroit, had been had gotten Norris votes. Had been like he'd been in the contention for top defenseman. Duncan Keith, whereas Duncan Keith has not gotten a single Norris vote, I believe within the past four or five years. So I think yeah, he got a one in long like time ago, seventeen or something, maybe. Yeah, that's probably it. It's been a while, at the very least. We might not have the exact numbers, but it yeah. has been a while. And the Oilers have picked him up as well as Tim Soderlund, uh, a prospect, uh, an AHL prospect, uh, play forward uh, in exchange yeah. for. Defenseman Caleb Jones uh, and a 20, 2022 conditional third round pick. The condition being if the Oilers make it to the 2022 Stanley Cup final and Keith is top four in playoffs time on ice during the first three rounds, the pick upgrades to a 2022 second round, uh, which really means so that it's a, a third, so it's a a third, third rounder. Round pick. So it is a, th- so it's a third rounder because they're not getting anywhere close to that. Um, like, I, I I think you and I, as soon as those, um, as soon as that, like, those rumors had started up, because the whole thing is with Duncan Keith was that, um, is that he wanted to come move closer to home. He's from, he's a BC kid, uh, so he wanted to move closer to home, uh, I believe, to be closer to his family. Uh, I think his, uh, like, his, uh, his wife and kid uh, live in BC still, like, full time, so he wanted to be closer to them. Um and so it was really going to basically narrow down more or less any trade involving Duncan Keith was going to narrow down to one of Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, or Seattle. Obviously, yeah. Seattle wasn't going to take them. There was no there unless yeah. they were. They have a very large act. analytics department. They weren't going to take them. They have a very large analytics department. They um they don't, and as far as we can tell, they're not going to have any issues getting to the cap floor. So uh, when it comes to the expansion draft and everything, so they don't really need to say bring on a guy with a big with a big cap hit just to kind of hit the hit the hit the absolute hit the floor. Uh, like say if you remember the Vegas expansion draft, you'll remember they drafted they took guys in the expansion draft like uh, David Clarkson and Mikhail Grabovsky yeah. just so they could fit just so they could get up to the amount of cap space they needed to. Uh, even though those weren't necessarily the best players available, they just needed those players to fill room. Right. Um, the C- the Kraken aren't expected to have that issue this time around because of the flat cap and everything else. So they're going to get a lot of good players who, with decent value, uh, for a lot for nothing that they so they don't have to worry about that. So they're out of out of the picture. 
Yeah. As much as I'm sure, as much as acquiring Duncan Keith for too much sounds like a, a very much sounds like a Canucks thing to do. Uh, yes. They don't have the cap space to do it, thankfully. So there was really no go. That was never going to be a thing. The Canucks yeah. just weren't going to be able to, weren't going to make that happen under any way, shape, or form. And that's frankly a, a good. They dodged a bullet. Yeah. They their their caps their their bad cap situation helped them help them today, which is it's good like- for them. It's like when death by a thousand cuts, like you, like you run out of blood to lose. Yeah. Like so, so another cut doesn't really actually do anything. Yeah, huh. but on the flip, yeah, it's like yeah, uh, it's like on the flip side, I'm all good. Like, um, yeah. um, and then Calgary doesn't really like need him. I'm sure they could have picked him up if they wanted, but like I don't know what the cap situation is like. But they didn't. They don't really need him. Their defense. I think is, they would. Their they defense is their stronger suit right now is their stronger department right now more or they less. would have only picked him up basically to expose him so they could protect giordano or something but even then i don't right think they and could. mark and mark giordano is kind of a better version of duncan yeah. keith now older guy puts up a bunch puts up a decent number of points is more known for his offensive contributions like there is a there is a good reason there's a they already have kind of their version there yeah um and uh, and again better arguably a better version of him Um, so the Oilers were going to be the only team that were going to really be involved in this. And yet they come and yet they acted like, God, oh my God, uh, we need to wow Chicago with a great offer because they'll never let him go. Otherwise, um, I don't know how you managed to lose this one, but you really did. Well done. The Hawks absolutely fleeced them. Like imagine losing a Duncan Keith trade in 2021. Like yeah. that is hard to do. It's impressive. <laughs> it's a, it takes an effort. It, ta- it took a real effort. They gave it 110%. Oh, yeah. Maybe we haven't mentioned this, um, but Chicago didn't retain salary in the transaction, just so everyone is aware. That's so it isn't like, right it isn't like <laughs> they retained half of the five and a half million dollars that is on the, like his cap hit for the next two years. It's the full thing. It's the, full like, it's the Oilers. Who don't have cap space? Yep, they have like eleven and a half million dollars or something now to figure out the rest of their lineup, which yeah. is nothing. You and I talked a few weeks ago when they when they gave uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins that big extension about yeah. how okay if they're not going out and if they're going to use this money to bring in some cheap some cheap good depth pieces and whatnot and help re and kind of and help build a better supporting caster on Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl you can we can kind of stomach that amount of money given to, to Nuge because he's still a, a good contributor even if yeah. he doesn't score as much as maybe he you'd like he still contributes quite regularly the Oilers need as much of that as they can get what have you yeah. um and they have the cap room to do it it can work out fine now they have significantly less with a lot of players and a lot of things still to figure out. Like they still don't have goaltending. They and there's already a, I already saw a tweet yesterday that apparently Mike's apparently Mike Smith should might try and push for more money uh, from the Oilers. <laughs> it's for real. That's awesome. Uh, I, I think I saw him. something like that. I think I saw something along those lines. I mean, yeah, good for him. Go get your money, yeah, dude. They're gonna pay you. Go ahead. Um, um, they still need a better defense because they're cl- because clearly Duncan Keith is not going to help you in your own end of the ice is really anyway. Even if he was playing 
too close to his full potential. Um, and uh, you have basically no bottom six. Like you don't have a good, you don't have good depth. You're, yeah. you, you still have James Neal making $5.7 million uh, for the next three, or is it th- two years? Yeah. Um, like, what are you going to do? There is nothing there. And there's no way anyone is going to help you on any of those contracts. No. Like this isn't like Chicago where people will somehow bend over backwards to help you out of any situation you have. Um, Literally any situation that they have. Literally. Uh, and that, and there's, there's a dark, obviously there's a much darker version of that going on right now uh, yes. off the ice. Um, but I, I don't know what, I don't know what Edmonton's thinking here. Like I get the, like, okay. Let's, I guess we should start by being at least somewhat nice about Duncan Keith. Like, uh, at least somewhat nice here. Uh, as much as we don't like <laughs> him in Vancouver, as much as we don't like him in Vancouver, that was the other thing about why the Canucks were never going to take him is because uh, yeah. the Canucks, uh, famously, Duncan Keith is not well-liked in Vancouver. <laughs> he probably, I don't I don't think anybody would have liked him here. I think they, I think he would have been the only player uh, to get booed if he came by in his the own starting fans. lineup by his own fans, if he came in the starting lineup for the Canucks, like if they announced him, people would boo him. Oh yeah, uh, for um, sure. It, so, but nonetheless, he has won a Norris Trophy. He he does have a Norris Trophy on his resume. That's more than a lot of defensemen can say. He has three Stanley Cups on his resume. That's more than most people in the NHL can say. Uh, probably, in fact, uh, he probably. I would imagine in as as a, as far as current active NHLers go, he's probably won the most, has he not? Like him, Kane, Taves, anyone in that in that core Blackhawks group? I don't think well, Patrick Maroon, sorry, I forgot about elite forward Patrick Maroon. Yeah. He's also won three How Stanley could you Cups. Forget? That's right. He just won. He just won third year in a row because he's incredible. Because he's that good. Um, he's that good. Um but uh so yeah, he does have winning experience, but as many people pointed out, years he is turning 38. Uh, he's turning 38 uh, in a few days. So he's nearing 40. And he is very clearly, no matter what, how elite a defenseman he was in his prime, he's very clearly not that anymore. So the only real reason, and this is the reason that Ken Holland seemed to be banking on in his press conference, is... The is the is the is a word we love here in Vancouver, which is <laughs> the intangibles. Yes. Uh, which is the fact that he brings veteran leadership and experience, and winning a championship. Which I mean, yeah, sure, but then you could just get him to coach. Do you, why not just <laughs> put him on the as a coach? You, you could have done that instead. Like, mm, I saw somebody suggest the idea that maybe they could do uh, pull a Marion Hosa with him and say he's you know claiming he's allergic to something in his equipment yeah, uh, yeah. wait until the playoffs and then bring him in for no cap space um, because he's on LTIR the whole time, which again, sure, but put him on the bench. Just put him on the bench or something. Why did you trade for him? Well, Oiler's going to Oiler. I don't know. It's really, it's pretty funny. Like that's, that's the bottom line is if you're a Canucks fan, you're just like, you're loving all of this because yes. it's, it's everything you would hope for, like because obviously the fatalist and everyone is like, oh god, Keith's on the market, and the team has said like they want you know more grit, more heft, and more whatnot in their defense and in their forward group. And then Duncan Keith is suddenly made available, and it's like, oh well, 
that could be a fit for like you could just picture the wheels turning like oh well i remember duncan keith was a powerhouse four years ago and if he's available we should get him because nhl gms get their eyes locked on a player they don't get him they forget about it a couple years go by that player is suddenly available they don't realize how terrible they are now and yet they still want them because they remember the good old days and I respect the nostalgia. I'm a nostalgic guy. I'm constantly, you know, rifling through my past and thinking of the good times, the cheat, mm. the GTZs. Mm. Um, but I'm not in charge of a billion dollar organization with my nostalgia. I These mean, guys are. We're pretty. The crease cast is pretty close. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's all. We're almost there. Our we're Patreon there. is is outrageous lately. Um, yeah. Oh yes, we are. Thanks, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Uh, join our uh, join our uh, Patreon.com/slash Creasecast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> subtle subtle ad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, in some cases there, you can have your cake and eat it too. Like there are some rare cases where you can bring in a guy for veteran presence that, and for the nostalgia of, yes, they've won in the past, but they might also come in and contribute and actually be yeah. a positive on the ice for you. Like, you know, like one of the best signings, I remember like this back in the Mike Gillis era uh, for the Canucks, and it's one that kind of gets made fun of a little bit in in nowadays, but back in the but in looking back on it now as well, one of the best signings that Mike Gillis ever made was the Matt Sundin signing. Not because not because of the fact that he came in and magically you know won a selkie or something and just mm-hmm. became this incredible talent. He came in and scored goals. He came in and contributed regularly offensively. He was great in the playoffs that year. I'll never forget how good he was in the postseason. Uh, but the other two things that he, that that made the Sundin signing important was that, A, it showed that Vancouver could be a destination for top-tier talent and specifically top-tier UFAs because, frankly, Vancouver has a hard time getting that done, right. even to this day. But I remember back in the, that part of the Gillis era, it was very easy. Suddenly they were getting the top fish on the market if they wanted. Uh, but number two, he also really helped nurture a lot of the younger Canucks and like the younger parts of the core. Like I think, I believe Ryan Kessler's talked about in the past, like how important Matt Sundin was uh, for him, for him specifically. Uh, the right. Sedins always talk about it. Uh, I think Luongo's talked about it before. Like, the, like lots of those core guys who went on to lead the team in 2011 talked about what an important part of their future, of that future success was due to Matt Sundin coming in and kind of giving them like a leg up and kind of give, yeah. and teaching them a few things about the league and how in hockey that they maybe didn't already have, that they just didn't have as a veteran leader. But he also got, but he also got results on the ice. And that's the important part. So I'm all for bringing in older veterans if they're here to contribute and help. But you can, again, if you want that, you don't have to go out and spend a premium on 38-year-old Duncan Keith, who clearly cannot play the same way he has anymore. And I guess Ken Holland mentioned as well that like a lot of the players on the team uh, talked about Duncan Keith as a guy that was hard to defend against and that was hard to play against and whatnot, and that's part of the also part of the reason why. <laughs> I mean, you can't listen to your players, dude. Like your players like guys as well. Like they're like lots of I believe lots of NHLers relatively recently said Carey Price is still the best goalie in the NHL, like in a player poll. Like he's still very he's very good. He's still very good, but there are clearly goalies who have passed him on that yeah. list. 
but everybody loves Carrie Price because he's Carrie Price. They're, so they're legacy things, right? It's they, it's rose colored I, glasses. It's the rose colored glasses. Uh, you know, you can't see the red flags. Yeah, uh, I think I think Holland even said like I asked my core group and they said like oh they remembered how difficult it was playing against Keith in the playoffs in the bubble. It's like in the bubble, like two years ago. Yeah, you guys got killed and you looked like none of you guys wanted to be there. That wasn't necessarily. Duncan Keith putting on a masterclass performance. That was mostly the Blackhawks just like showing up and the entire Oilers crew just like taking a walk and go getting ready for golf season. Like they just weren't even in it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. That's it's quite the uh, lapse in logic to just be like, oh, my players said that it was tough to play against this one guy once. So that justifies a five and a half million dollar expenditure on a player that is going to contribute just as much as the guy that we sent away for him in Caleb Jones. <laughs> like yeah. that's a big, uh... Caleb Jones is younger is controllable contract wise because he's, he's an RFA. Uh, he only was making 850 K like whether or not, like some people have even said that, you know, Caleb Jones, I'm not like, I've seen some people talking about how they they're not as high on Caleb Jones as other people are and like how he's okay. But, and like, he's okay as far, and maybe people are overhyping like his potential sort of thing. But even then, like he's younger, he's got more, your chances of him turning into something better are yeah. far higher than your chances of Duncan Keith being better than he has been the last so many years as on the decline, as he's been on the decline. Yeah. Like I'll ask, I'll ask you that. I'll ask you this. Do you think that let's say, let's say, Instead, let's say we're looking at the exact same trade here, only difference being that Ken Holland gets the Hawks to take retain 50% of his salary. So it's down to uh 225. 2.25, yeah. Yeah, it's down to about a 225. Does that make it more stomachable for you? Would that have made it more stomachable? I mean, I wouldn't personally. Like just okay. because just because um, like I've seen I've watched Keith play enough where I'm like the dude is completely washed. And sure. like, it's the same thing, like the logic that's going to apply to when the Canucks eventually um, re-sign Alex Edler, because Alex Edler is going to be commanding, you know, I want $4 million. I, like, I'm going to take a discount because I only want to play in Vancouver, but I'm not going to take that much kind of discount. But you know what Alex Edler is? He's washed. He's too old to be playing the kind of top pairing matchups that the Canucks would like him to play the Oilers are in the same boat where I think they believe they're getting a Duncan Keith that can play top pairing minutes no matter what, which isn't really worth five and a half million dollars when you watch him play, let alone at half of you know the salary retained at 2.25, because you can get, like you said, you have one in the system. You had Caleb Jones, who on his next deal at 1.2, million or whatever it is he might overplay that and give you a 5.5 million dollar worthy defenseman on a 1 million dollar contract but again it's kind of the old the old hockey club ways of overvaluing experience and veteran leadership not that those things aren't valuable to a locker room but there's also got to be a point where you're like okay we have enough veterans on our team as is we have a 50 55-year-old starting goaltender. We have, you know, Adam Larson, who's been around the league for ages. We've got, like, 
you know, McDavid like isn't like a spring chicken either. Like he's the leader of the team and has been in the wow. league since 2015-16. Are you Sorry. calling me old? Because we're the same age. I, How dare you? I'm not. I'm not saying you're old. You're not there yet. But I'm just no pretend- longer in my prime. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, and I'm just <laughs> saying like NHL GMs boy, like they have this like vision in their mind of like some 36 year old veteran who puts up 90 points like they used to back in the 80s and 90s and those just don't exist anymore if they're not named alex ovechkin and even then like when has that worked like what what team in the salary cap era has gone out of their way to pick up specifically one guy with a past cup pedigree to come in and revitalize your locker room and have it work and have it magically work and turn into a cup champion. I don't think any team has, I don't think any team has had that happen to them. Like some teams have brought in older Mm -hmm. veterans, but not because they're necessarily, but no one has has explicitly been like, Oh, we acquired Pat Maroon from the blues because of his veteran leadership. It's like, no, we we acquired him because he's going to be a good fit on our fourth line. Right, and he came at a relatively cheaper cost. As he yeah. came at a relatively cheaper cost. He put he no, and he did that purposely because he knew he was going to probably go yeah. and try and win a championship. There's a yeah. lot, and he contributed in the role that they put him in. He was fit well for that for that role. Yeah. Like the closest thing I can think of is like Ron Hainsey in Pittsburgh, and even then, that was on a team that had already won a cup in '09. They already yeah. had those guys. Like maybe maybe you have to go back to that '09 team when they get like. Uh, Bill Guerin, who we'll talk about later in the show, for his non for his non uh, on ice uh, his non on ice uh, decisions, but like yes. that's the closest thing I can think of because yeah. it doesn't happen really. It yeah, doesn't no, really happen. You're you're acquiring players with Stanley Cup pedigree because they're actually still good players. You're not acquiring them because they have 800 games under their belt and have been in a locker room before. Because guess what? Most of these players have been in a locker room their entire lives. Yeah. They're they're used to this kind of shit. You don't yeah. need to overpay for this or somehow make that the defining factor for why you would acquire someone. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Benning. <laughs> Please stop doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, literally, and you already kind of you already talked about it. The fact that just like literally the Canucks right now, like we we've already said the Pacific Division is gonna be real weak this year. Mm-hmm. The, Oil- the Oilers just actively made themselves weaker. Yeah, that rocks. That's, yeah, that, I mean, we were saying like, it together. Like, it's it's pretty great that the Canucks have done the the Paul Rudd and forgetting Sarah Marshall approach of stop doing stop doing anything. You're doing too much. Do less and yeah. just pop up. So they're about to pop up through the virtue of doing nothing because everyone around them in their division is deciding to do very dumb things. Like the oil. Like you know who's gonna just eat the Oilers alive and now that their back end is Duncan Keith and like who's this right pairing defenseman that's gonna have to make up for him it's can only be like nurse and yeah, nurse is like not really I wouldn't be like oh yeah he's a Norris caliber defenseman you have Ethan Bear who's quite good like Ethan Bear is yeah, your best bet sure. um and already it sounds like apparently like I believe in that same press conference he talked about the fact that uh Holland talked oh, about that Oscar Clefbaum who would have been that guy uh, yeah. is still injured. I don't even know what's happened to Clefbaum. Like I really, I loved Oscar Clefbaum when he was, uh, when he was there. Like I really wanted the Canucks to try and go and make a deal to try and bring him to Vancouver. 
uh, when he was at his best. But like now it's just like he might not even play. Like who knows if yeah. we'll ever see him in the NHL again because of his injury issues. Um, is there any, look, okay. Is there any single possible way that the Oilers come out like as come out on top in this scenario? Like, is there any, is there any um, foreseeable way that this trade ends up ma- making them better for it? Not necessarily because Duncan Keith plays fantastic or something, but like, is there anything that like we're not seeing here that potentially could make the Oilers better in the long run for having made this trade? Long run? Right- no. Short term? Short term. Maybe they... I mean, it just depends, right? They obviously value Duncan Keith very highly, right? If they were thinking like, okay, there's no way Clefbaum's coming back, so we need some kind of stable defenseman like on the back end, then sure, I, I guess I can understand it, where they're just like, you know, we lost a huge contributor. We need some guy that has proven to be able to do it before. Maybe they think Philip Broberg or Evan Bouchard are going to be like top four defensemen next year. And Duncan Keith can just be like a third pairing minute muncher. But like, like I said, you, you don't spend five and a half million dollars on that. Like you, you can't be like the same reason that the Canucks can't be spending $6 million on Tyler Myers to chip in just as much offense as Troy Stetcher on the Canucks. Like that's, that's not efficient money to make, to make more money than Jeff Petrie and have Jeff Petrie double him in points. Like, yeah, exactly. 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 Short term. Maybe there's something they see that we don't, but I, I don't see it at all. The only, the only thing I can see here is expansion draft is the expansion draft with the Kraken coming up. Like the, like maybe, maybe you were going to lose, potentially lose Caleb Jones uh, to the Kraken for nothing. I don't right. know if that's the direction they would have gone here. Um, I don't feel, I don't know exactly who they're on the hook to protect. And, and right now I am, but right now I would say that as far as the Oilers are concerned, I would imagine that there are more, that they are more likely to go in the for like the, what is it the eight players uh one goalie route like just because of the fact that there aren't really a lot of forwards that necessarily warrant protecting here right like i i don't think you have to protect like maybe you have to protect kale do you have to protect kaylor yamamoto uh no i don't maybe? think he's a, uh, actually his deal's up you, he might be you might i think you might have so like right now it looked just from looking at their list very very quickly i could be completely incorrect here but if you're going like the eight players, one defenseman route, I mean, uh, well, I guess Duncan Keith has to be protected unless he waves because um, he's a no move. He's got a no yeah, move clause. It, his no move clause did travel with him to the Oilers, I believe. They they honored that. Yeah. So he'd Good have Lord. to he'd have to uh, wave it after arriving there, which would be. I mean, it would it. be. I mean, very I don't think I don't think Seattle of them. I mean, I don't I mean, think Seattle take would yeah, pick him up. I don't think Seattle would pick him up. So I think they'd be fine. Uh, but you look at the fact that, like, okay, outside of say Darnell Nurse, like you do have. Well, yeah, I'm just looking at the list. I guess maybe not in this case, just because of the fact of, uh, yeah, it doesn't look like you would have to protect, uh, say, like uh, uh, Evan Bouchard or anything like that. So 
Yeah, I guess I guess generally, actually, it does look more like they'd go in the seven four three defensive. So it doesn't really do anything. Like yeah. it doesn't do anything for them. There's not really, there's not really anyone that they. Yeah, but they do have to protect Yamamoto. So yeah, who knows? I don't know. I I don't see anything here. Um, yeah, I will now turning attention to kind of Chicago really briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like right now. This is a, as far as a trade is concerned. This is a clear good call, move for Chicago. They're clearly not yeah. going anywhere fast. They're developing they free up cap space. Free up very very free up a good amount of cap space. Uh, they did right by a guy who won them championships, and they get a decent defenseman, a pro- defensive prospect, Caleb Jones, uh, who can yeah. come into the who already can play at the NHL level. Uh, yeah. So it will probably be a good improvement for you. The one thing that's being talked about here, of course, if you if you if you're not uh, if you're not well versed in your NHL family trees, is that Caleb Jones is related to his brother is Seth Jones, uh, who is a UFA or an RFA, pardon me, uh, or something like that. Something um, like that. Something like that. Who's already said he's not going to resign with the Blue Jackets, uh, so they have to they have to. Uh, so he will be testing. I think he is a UFA. He'll be testing UFA. Yeah. Um, so now here's the thing. Uh, a lot of people will tell you that Caleb Jones, or sorry, Seth Jones is probably going to make a lot more money than he should. He is probably going to come at a premium cost for a defenseman who's good, like a good defenseman, but nowhere near as good, not an elite defenseman that the, not the elite defenseman that he's perceived to be. Can Chicago potentially ruin this trade for themselves by trying to lure Seth Jones to Chicago to play with his brother and giving him that premium contract? Does that ruin it for for them? Uh, I mean, it would because it's kind of like it. It would be a shame for like if you're if I'm in Chicago shoes, which I would hate to be because that organization is dog shit. If I had managed to free up five and a half million dollars of cap space and like in my contention window right now, like it's clear as day, they need years probably before they're back to being a legitimate contender. Like they're just kind of like listless right now. They still need a a bigger prospect pool. They have Kirby doc, but I mean, that's like about it, Mm -hmm. but it would be a shame to suddenly free up probably the hardest contract on their books to get rid of on besides Brent Seabrooks and then be like, Oh, we're going to spend that and more on a defenseman who might not even be a contributor to when we're back to contending. Like if I right. was like the capologist, I'd be like, like, what do we do? Why did we make that trade for Keith? Then if we could wait a year to when he's an actual UFA, forget his actual personal wants and try and trade him as a, like a, a deadline deal, assuming he doesn't crater, like we'd right. probably get just as much, if not more at a trade deadline, than you know, Caleb Jones, who's fine, and a pick, which is fine. But we probably could have got more if we just kind of ignored the player requests and we wouldn't have spent, like, because Seth Jones is going to get paid. Like, Seth Jones is going to get paid a lot of money. He's going to get paid a lot of money. Like, even even with the flat cap, he'll probably get a lot. He'll probably get a pretty hefty paycheck from whoever he plays for next. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and, like, one of the GMs we always bring up for the way that they approach 
uh, their decision making is Steve Eiserman, like the fact that he traded uh, that he traded Anthony Mantha specifically because right. he recognized the fact that when Anthony Mantha Anthony Mantha is in his prime now, more or less, or like something like that, he's close. It, to, it he's was, around his prime. He's circling. Yeah, the, his it was hit. His we are not there yet. Convention window wasn't going to be in line with when he'd still be like at his That's most valuable mean. peak or prime as a player. So why not sell as early as possible and get a great return for him, which they did. Yes. Even got a good player in return who probably is going to age out as well in uh, Jacob Verana. But, but then they, got they all can picks. sell Verana as well before his current deal is up and probably get even more out of that. Um, that is That is recognizing opportunity cost very well, which is something that both the Oilers and depending on what the Chicago Blackhawks do off of this, don't quite understand. Cause yeah, if they just take that five and a half million of cap savings and all of a sudden go, let's go spend it. it yeah. Then, it, then you've undone all the work you just did a lot of hard yeah. work. Like, cause how many years, like, have we heard, you know, oh, what are the Blackhawks going to do with Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook? They're clearly falling yeah. off. Their contracts are so impossible to move. No one's ever going to want them. Well, they got they got lucky mult and they got lucky multiple times. Like people forget the fact that they got lucky back in like th- uh, I want to say like like right after they won the cup. Uh, they got or around or like when they lost, won their last cup that the Coyotes were in desperate need of just getting to the cap floor because they were tanking, yeah. and so they were able to take on. Conch, uh, like Marion Hosa, Nicholas Jolberson, Nick, LTIR. They're able to tr- pick up Nicholas Jolberson, like a bunch of Hawk players that would have caused headaches for them down the road when yeah. it came to their cap situation and everything else, uh, and everything else sur- like surrounding it. Uh, had they not come come gone there, um, and you know Chicago has, and then there are a couple of cases where Chicago has completely missed the completely just. I don't want to say they've, they've, they've completely missed and like say traded guys like Artemi Panarin for Brandon Saad. Mm-hmm. Like they, to like, they made some clear errors there. Yeah. Yeah. They've gotten pretty lucky a couple times here and there. Uh, this is one of them probably a little into a certain extent here. Yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of, it's just what happens, right? Like you get kind of like some teams overvalue veterans like on other teams and they go out of their way to get them. Some teams internally overvalue certain players and undervalue others, and you see them go away. Uh, but that doesn't just apply to players. That can also apply to executives, which will segue nicely into Sorry. the other insane thing that happened in the last 48 hours. One which of is three. One of three big ones. Um, Pierre Maguire, NBC's, uh, World Hockey Canada's it, greatest... It person of play or polarizing figure uh, <laughs> i mean so speaking of the like it's a shame i mean i don't want to speak too soon because you never know the canadian north division might come back but it would be so amazing if it came back in the same year that the oilers have acquired duncan keith and the ottawa senators have picked up pierre Maguire as their senior vice president of player development like that would be Speaking of like just failing upwards, like the Canucks just doing nothing and somehow by default just becoming the third best team in the league because they didn't do stupid shit like this. Um, yeah. All of the, 
like the Oilers thing where all the interviews surrounding the deal with for Duncan Keith, like just like made you shake your head and go like, oh, my God, like hockey men are just so stupid. Same thing applied to the hiring of Pierre Maguire by uh, Pierre Dorian, who said it was a no brainer to bring Pierre Maguire into his head office. And there was some amazing tweet where it was like in the the media availability, Pierre Dorian had said that. Pierre Maguire has a dearth of intelligence on all players. It was like they they screen cap like the Webster's dictionary definition of dearth, and we're like, I don't think this is the word you were hoping to use. I think you meant breadth, which is oh, just a perfect sign of what you want to see in a to team. Be, trying to really pick a big one, trying to pick yeah, yeah it's being like, yeah, so so you could have just said you could have said vast. You just yeah. could have said vast. That's it. Just said a lot, a, a lot. lot of knowledge, but no. Yeah. You, you chose a word that made it sound like Pierre Maguire doesn't know fucking anything, which remains to be seen. He hasn't been an executive for like 20 years, like since the I, 90s. I will say this. If I ever needed to know who played it for St. Cloud State at some point in my life, in some point in their college career. Yeah. Pierre Maguire would be the person I'd go for that information. Like, okay, so- he ha- because he just has it in there. He's just a walking... He's a walking encyclopedia of former junior and former places of junior and what coaches and players they've played with and like every and those things. If I'm looking for that, yeah, I either go to Google or I just wait for Pierre Maguire to tell me. Okay, so Um, you know what's amazing is like I have like a ton of knowledge on like movies and movie trivia because that's like all I used to do growing up was just cruising IMDB and like basically just reading everything about movies. It is completely useless information that you can imagine, like just tie in when someone brings up an actor and you can be like, Oh, well, so-and-so did this and that. Um, Sometimes it'll help you on trivia night. Like you you never know, but only in the NHL world, can you get like a six figure executive position by having pub trivia? As your bread and butter. That's that's the wild part is it might even be more. Because think about it. U.S. broadcast money is a A lot. lot. Yeah. So there is a very good chance the Senators might might have paid closer to seven to get them. Which would be – Like I I have to – I wouldn't be shocked. I have to believe – I have to hope they didn't because that would be just wild um, if they had. Um but like, so here's the the thing, right? One of the big things, like Ian Mendez from the Athletic, uh, talked like did a big uh, in depth piece on everything that on the whole Pierre Maguire hiring and everything. Uh, yeah. It's a great read. You should go check it out. Ian's a great writer. Um, he's been covering the Senators for a very long time, um, and he talked about how really a lot of this. So here's the thing, right? Is Pierre Dorian was not actually really all that involved up until recently in this whole hiring process. That was relatively recently. The guy who hired him was Eugene Melnick. Oh, good. Um, so, oh, which here. literally, here's the thing. Like, and like, I feel so poor Ottawa Senators fans. Like, good lord, those guys get kicked in the teeth all the damn time. I know. Like, and this, just like, when just when things are going right with their prospect pool and you're like, Oh, the young kids are going to carry the way. Guess who they hire as the de- young prospect development guy. <laughs> it's Pierre yeah. Maguire. <laughs> they hire Pierre Maguire. Um, uh, I, and like, and one of the biggest things about the senators, like we, you and like on this show all the time, we mentioned, we talk about, obviously we talk about ownership a lot because we yeah. talk about the Aquilinis. 
what they're doing. We are often quite critical of what they of what they do and their decision making. Yeah. Um, for and and I believe that's fair. Like I I don't think there's anybody who's above criticism. Like when it comes to how what's going on in this in when it comes to your hockey team. Um, there and but then you have guys like Eugene Melnick who make what the Aquilinis do on a daily basis look very minor <laughs> in concern in when it comes to just some of the things they do. Like when you hear from Eugene Melnick at any point, you know you're about the senators are in for a bad time. Like something's about to go horribly wrong. Um, and what happened this year? Like this, the whole team completely punches above their weight class, plays some of the best hockey, was one of the best teams in the second half of the season. Uh, ends up finishing fifth, I think, in the division or sixth. Yeah. Like uh, I believe they finished above Calgary. Like they weren't going to make the playoffs, but they, but they played a like they the the team bought in and played as if they were. Like they yeah. played as if they expected. They played to go that like far. they had something to prove, and they're like, "We're not a bunch of yeah. scrubs. Like we're actually gonna, you know, yeah." Try they, and win. they played their best. They played their absolute best, and they won a bunch of games against a bunch of much better teams. Um, and one of the things that was kind of noticeably absent was the fact that you didn't hear from Eugene Melnick a lot last year, and yeah. that seemed to be good because he is somebody who famously gets too involved in the hockey in hockey ops decisions and when he does it goes embarrassing. south very quickly now cue the video cue the video of him uh, interviewing mark borowitzki yes in the locker yes. room with an old jersey exactly um and even like i was watch i watched a little bit of the pierre mcguire uh like press conference yeah. immediately i'm just like this is a man like just i'm i'm already just grimacing because I'm watching this is a man who's been on broadcast television for the last 20 years and here he is doing a press conference with his phone vertical in vertical camera mode like yeah. that might seem like like look that might seem like I'm nitpicking that might seem very minor but that's a big matter. deal like that actually that should tell you something the fact yes. that this is a guy who has literally been in in a in a broadcast job for the last 20 years and didn't make the effort to have his phone turned horizontally properly so it would fill the so it would fill a screen like that to me or like that again it seems small but that matters like that tells you what you need to know about this is probably a guy who's a little past his prime it probably doesn't isn't necessarily yeah. a guy you should be hiring to run your billion dollar hockey team like, Not even that, but like to to be charged with developing kids that are like a third of his age, mm -hmm. like what does he know about development right now with kids born in two thousand two? Yeah, two thousand three. What does he have in what does how can he relate to a t uh, a group of players that are two generations yeah. uh, ahead of him? Like. And, and it's it's interesting because I think it was the Ian Mendez, Mendez piece where he like asked all the former Hartford players and they're like, oh yeah, it sucked playing for him because no one in the league respected him. They didn't respect oh, his decisions. Yes. They didn't respect his coaching. So, they didn't respect him at all. And it's like anyone that went to Hartford like just loathed it. Yeah. So it's like, so, yeah. How are they supposed to feel about like that kind of guy being in charge with like your prospects development curves? Like really? Right. 
Right. I so I pulled that article up and I read it and it is if you haven't if you haven't read it it is fascinating. Yeah. Um now like and I'll, I'll preface it by saying that like we have many we have enough we have enough questions to ask about Pierre Maguire's abilities with what he does today that maybe judging him based on what he did 20 years ago as an executive is a little unfair. And it's True. been it's been long enough that I think most people you know, you're, you, you kind you of deserve change. like a reset, you're, I guess. Maybe you've changed you, your approach ev- or something. Everyone evolves over time. No person, if you have not, if you have not changed as a person in the last twenty in twenty years time, uh, that's bad. But that that's not good. Every person should gr- should show growth within like over time of twenty years as a human being, right? So yeah. that wouldn't be that, and I think that's fair. But it is worth when you go into some of the stuff that he did that he did and tie it into kind of some of the things that have come up with him recently, it does kind of tell you a broader picture of this is like of why it's, this is not exactly setting up for success. Like one of the ones that I found very funny, one of the funniest parts of this was um, this is in the, again, this is in 1994. This is after he was fired from the whalers job after one year on the job. Um, (laughs) Many times he privately said, said after a game, how he outcoached the other guy, but but it was but it was something never really made public until May third of ninety four when McGuire proclaimed that no coach in the NHL can outwit me. That quote ran in the hockey news and raised eyebrows all over the NHL. Uh, and then he once he once when he was an assistant coach, McGuire bragged about his strategy to shut down Mario Lemieux. This was after a seven three loss and four goals by Kevin Stevens. Um, this so. That's important. That that kind of tells you all you need <laughs> to know. That's important. Like the fact that at one point this was a guy who thought he was literally the best coach in the NHL, uh, despite never have, having held a head coaching position of any kind. Um, and then you tie that fact that he thinks he knows all with stuff more recently. Like what, what was one of the most recent things that Pierre Maguire had a headline for was when he talked about how analytics are yeah. – basically a bunch of nonsense right yeah and he because you can't measure heart or yeah you can't measure heart and then he proceeded to use examples of how analytics are bad by referencing the oilers who we just talked (laughs) about yeah uh and who are very clearly not a team doing a lot of great analytical work necessarily and then Um, he referenced scouting too and then he referenced and the leafs uh, with yeah. the other team he mentioned, who like a little bit closer, but still they had this was right after they had spent a trade deadline buying a bunch of non-analytics uh, darlings yeah. for grit and meat yeah. and potatoes. For the exact purposes that like would that he enjoy should like. Pierre Maguire that he should objectively like, but he didn't like. It was all just like a bunch of straw man arguments. Like he came in like knowing people were going to be like, hey notorious idiot probably has issues with analytics let's ask him about analytics and instead of just being like yeah i'm open to it i just don't understand it because i'm an elderly man he just straight up got defensive and put out a bunch of straw man arguments like like what was it today he's like um he met, i think he referenced I, blake I want, coleman as, yeah uh, he as mentioned a, a bunch of like players a- and teams and he was like you know, for scouting, you need boots on the ground. That's what I believe in. And it was like, no one was saying that. No one was saying it's either or. uh, Yeah. No one was ever saying analytics takes away the eye test 
on scouting. It's just a means of enhancing your view or like the whole picture of a prospect you're scouting. That's all it yeah. is. No one ever, it's and not, even it, then, no one has no ever one been said. like, you need to. It, it is. It's either yeah. you go and scout at games or you, or you read, trust a computer. Trust a computer. No, it's yeah. both. No one ever Do said these both. things. And you add more tools to your repertoire because at the end of the day, more more tools. Like, why would you reject more tools that could potentially make you a better a better team? Yeah. Like, that's the thing. And then he referenced specific players on the Lightning as proof of why grit and heart are matter and stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, but all of those guys you just mentioned are also highly regarded in the analytics community for yeah. their ability to put the puck in the net and yes. what they're and what they contribute away from their yes. points and their and, points. Like, and usually heart and determination and battle level, all these things you can't compete. Usually that results in really positive analytics because they're a direct result of hard work. Like yeah, very, he, very rarely do people like bust their ass and just get crushed at it unless they're really bad players that shouldn't yeah, be in the NHL. I, I have a lot of heart. Should I be in the NHL? Yeah. I probably no, have probably not. just as much heart about hockey as some people in the NHL. Does that make yeah. me NHL caliber town? No, that's not how that works. Um, and then there was the other thing that he referenced. The big, I think the funniest one he mentioned as well, like in this conference was the was a, I think it's the the seven player player model, and this was something Ian Mendez asked him specifically about because it's something he's mentioned a lot on the radio before. This um this whole thing basically was surrounded this idea that McGuire's uh, idea of a of how to build a successful hockey team centers around the seven player profile, and that a championship roster. This is this is a direct quote from the Athletic article. Uh, that a champ it's McGuire's belief that a championship roster must contain the following seven players, two dominant centermen, a power forward, a specialist forward, either on power play, penalty kill, or faceoff, an elite puck moving defenseman, an elite shutdown defenseman, and an elite goaltender. And it's like, <laughs> ah, so having a lot of good hockey players yeah. wins you championships. Oh my, like, revolutionary thinking write that down yes. like, that i want the analytics that say those what? are good things <laughs> but, uh, yeah uh here like just plops the entire stack of every analytics like uh chart ever sure here you go they all yeah. say these are important <laughs> like shocking and then i think he said something along the lines of there were like three players away from that and it was like i think you're maybe a little farther yeah. uh hmm. you're getting close sure yeah. that might be a little closer to true but the senators are still a long ways off from that because again you, as many teams have proven you can't win on two or three guys that that's not enough like seven players will make you a decent team it might get you into the playoffs but it's not you're not going to win anything yeah. Just on those guys alone, you need a supporting cast to yeah. center them look around. At, look at the Vancouver Canucks. They had those seven players, but outside of that, they had nothing. And therefore, they got destroyed in the one round. They needed more than just those seven. Yeah. And Funny how that at, works. And on the flip side of that, look at some of the Canucks teams that have done well and gone to the finals. Like, those teams had the seven play had those seven players, maybe. Like, you could, yeah. if you want to go through the list. But then they also had... The other, they had, they had every bottom six defense forward and their depth defensemen and yeah. their backup goaltender. Like, 
they need though you need those just as much. You yeah. you can't rely on a few guys to get the job done. So I mean, like as far as Ottawa's concerned, uh are they are are you at all worried that they're about to undo a lot of the stuff that they a lot of the success they've had? Or is it kind of is it is it gonna be a little too hard for him to really say if he turns out the way we expect him to, is it going to be too hard for him to really do any damage? It depends, right? Because we've we've heard things where they've said, like, Pierre Maguire is going to have, like, a great, much greater role than just director of player development. Like, he's going to be in on everything, which, I mean, it's tough to say the other- because the, the Ottawa model, like, since they sold off everything has been pretty much just built through the draft, get a bunch of young guys in, and, like, start there. And so, like, I think they've done a really good job. Like, I think Pierre Dorian's actually done, like, a pretty decent job of flipping all the expensive pieces away and dealing with an, a very cheap owner and kind of following what the owner wants and doing what you should be doing to rebuild a team. But the Maguire hire, which I hate, as a rhyme, that's a the Mc the McHire. Oh, I can't. Uh, that's that's so bad. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know like what kind of impact he's really gonna have. Like, I'm assuming Pierre Dorian obviously like drives the bus, and Pierre Maguire probably has his inputs. Mm. It would just be very interesting because Pierre Maguire has some like very interesting like things to say about certain players that are like completely baffling and like his player evaluations like during game calls were always like very like what player are you are you watching kind of reactions right so it'll be interesting like how that meshes with a team that's obviously put a pretty big emphasis on just kind of throwing the youth into the deep end and being like all right like if you can do it you can do it and if you can't then oh well go to belleville and uh apply your trade for a bit like they're very much a trust the kids and trust the process kind of thing. So it's very interesting to like go with a guy who is very bold and brash with like, not only his opinions, but even at, in his time in Hartford was very bold and brash with the way he used his players and the way he coached. So it's kind of like a weird clash, but like, like you said earlier, maybe he's changed his ways in the last 20 years. He's a new man for all I know. Yeah, it's just it's just I, very hard to square the dot of like a guy being out of the executive positions for close to twenty five years, suddenly being put into a senior executive role when it comes to prospect development, which is just very strange. All in all, yeah, I did want to ask you specifically as somebody who spends you know the majority of his time covering AHL hockey mm-hmm. and covering the 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 development efforts of the Canucks. Yeah. Um, how, like, how do you, what kind of an impact and what kind of an effect do you think having McGuire as the head of player development will have on their Belleville, on Belleville? Because it said he's supposed to have a lot of, uh, he's going to have a lot of input on what goes on with the AHL team. So does that, like, does it worry you at all about how they're going to, how that team is going to uh, uh, develop talent from, from that point of view? Um. Yeah, like it just depends, right? Because the the Belleville system really has been like, you know, you get a player in, you put him into a top six position if he's a forward or a top pairing, like a D pairing position. And, you know, if he starts scoring or producing really well, we're going to give him AHL games as soon as possible because they're really local. So it's really easy. 
I, I find it hard to believe that Pierre Maguire is going to be the type that's like, oh no, you have to have veterans and kids need to earn their time. Cause that's kind of the Canucks approach is you're not, ha- you're not spoon fed anything. You need to earn the top roles. You need to earn the top line position. You don't just get thrown to the wolves. I'm kind of in favor of the throw to the wolves approach because I think it tells you more faster about a player and what you can expect and what they need to expect of themselves heading into subsequent seasons. I can't imagine Pierre is going to get an NHL position and genuinely concern himself that much with the AHL side of things because their AHL side is not the problem, right? It's the NHL. They made a bunch of calls on some players that haven't really worked out. They've drafted very well. Um, It's just, it's just playing the waiting game, which for a brand new executive in the NHL, I can't imagine he'd come in in his first year and be like, okay, your, your development system isn't fast enough. Your NHL team sucks. So we're going to do a bunch of crazy shit to playoffs again. Yeah. Like I can't imagine any executive would be like, oh yeah, let's listen to this guy. He clearly has the right idea. Like, cause I think if you came in with that kind of attitude, everyone would look at you and be like, no, bro, like we have a plan. Yeah. Like, like chill. <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about planning, the one other thing that's worth noting about this whole situation as well is the fact that like Pierre Dorian was talking about the fact that, Oh, like, you know, he'll answer to me. I'm mm-hmm. still in charge here kind of thing. But, uh, Hey, his contract's up in 2022 and he, he, so at the end of next season, it's, it's up. Uh, yeah. and, Eugene Melnick was the one who hired Pierre Maguire. Um, are we looking at a situation? We're looking at a situation where, where Maguire is PM Pierre, Pierre Maguire Pierre. next year. Yeah. Like, is he the heir apparent? Because Dorian doesn't have a contract right now. He doesn't have an extension on the table or of any sort. Like, that's a good question. But honestly, the biggest takeaway from this thing is like, even if uh, Dorian's out and Maguire's in, the best thing that comes of this of course is that pierre Maguire is off of tv broadcasts so yes, if he's if part. he's in a head office ruining uh a team <laughs> a franchise as a director of player development or as a gm it doesn't matter because he's not ruining play-by-plays with interjections on every great moment because he just wants to hear himself talk and ruin everything i have not yep, forgotten I'll about that it. jordan Eberle call I don't think any Canadian has. No. Uh, we will not forget. The North remembers. Somebody made a version of that call where they took Pierre Maguire out. Like, oh, it's and probably it's, amazing. And it's fantastic. But, well, like, yeah. Specifically, I was actually, I will say, I think the part about it wasn't even the fact that Maguire was out. It's the fact that he, whoever did it made it so seamless. Like it didn't even, it sounded, per- like it sounded totally right. natural. Yeah, it was so funny. I was the like, original wow, that sounds perfect. The original call is just the guy going, can you believe it? And instead of of letting the crowd just like take away the audience, it's Pierre Maguire interjecting like almost to spite him and be like, I can. And it's like, uh, because, and then goes on some weird, very anti-Russian thing. Yeah. Uh, It was, it was so, it was just so cringe. And there there are many cringy moments in Pierre Maguire's broadcasting career. Enough to fill to fill a book, but right now we don't have to worry about that anymore because, yeah. as far as the foreseeable future is concerned, he is uh, not going to be on TV. So that's oh no, what a what yeah. a shame. Producer, cue up good riddance. The other major news 
uh, of the day. This one actually dropped today, this morning, which kind of pissed me off because like I had a really busy day at work, and this is like first thing in the morning. Uh, Ryan Suter and Zach Parise both getting bought out by the Minnesota Wild. I mean, like, could you at least wait until like the afternoon when like I'm on my way home or when people aren't at work so they can like talk about it and have friendly discourse about it? Like, that's it's a little selfish of them, frankly. Yeah, and um, this was obviously a big story because Ryan Suter and uh, Zach Parise were obviously signed back in 2012 to to matching massive colossal contracts contracts so large that they kickstarted a lockout because of those damn greedy players and their damn filthy contract demands. And here yeah. they are. Was it seven or nine years later, nine years into their 13 year contracts that they're getting bought out together, which is very sweet. Very yeah. cute. Yeah. Very, very beautiful in that way. So Minnesota gets $10 million in cap relief in the first year of this buyout. But the second, third, and fourth years, then things get a little dicey. It gets, so, the, yeah. so the third year, or the second year, I think they get $2 million in cap relief. But in year three, Zach Parise and Ryan Suter will account for 15% of the team's cap in buyout. And then in year four, they'll accumulate 18% of the cap in just dead space, which yeah. to most people... The, the cap is supposed to stay flat for the yeah, next five years, according that's to what the, the NHL, so they're not getting any relief in that regard. Right, because I, before this season, they had estimated that it's gonna the cap for the NHL is probably going to be stuck at $81.5 million for the next five seasons barring you know some kind of monumental return to business by the nhl and all that stuff but tentatively we're not expecting the 81.5 million to go up until at least 2023 or 2024 so the minnesota wild have to basically have their contention window right now this upcoming season and possibly the year after that but then navigate a year in which players like matt dumba and quite a few of their ELC players like Matt Boldy will be coming off of their first deals and need uh, renegotiated contracts, which is going to be very pricey. It'll also be very impossible to do when 20% of your cap space is allocated to two players who are not playing for you anymore. And there's a lot of benefits to this deal, which we can get into. They free up two uh, expansion draft spaces so they can protect matt dumba they can protect jordan greenway they don't have to worry about losing like a key player they also don't have to worry about the risk of trading either guy and having them retire because they were one of the few teams that faced the risk of a massive recapture penalty mm -hmm. um they can re-sign kirill kaprizov to this season to like a pretty decent deal if they really wanted to probably like some kind of bridge or whatever mm -hmm. but that year three and year four, depending on how the next two seasons go for the wild could be incredibly ugly. Cause yeah. if they screw up the next two years and they don't compete at playoffs, they regress or, you know, are a bottom feeder. Now, suddenly you're looking at instead of, you know, two years of contention and three years of, you know, very careful cat maneuvering. You're looking at probably five years straight of, 
just a rebuild, basically. That's yeah. a big risk for a team like Minnesota, who up until this season were known as the boring team of the league. They finally yeah. became not boring. And don't get me wrong, Bill Guerin doing this move is very not boring and very no, exciting. No, it's fun. It's but very fun. I like is, the Wild now. It is a very <laughs> yeah. It's a very yeah, high risk, like high reward maneuver that could either pay off pretty well in the short term and pretty eh in the long term, or it can just be a complete disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, so your thoughts on either the deal or the players or just, you know, this entire deal, your reaction to it. Well, you remember, well, you mentioned that you mentioned that the wild are finally not boring for a bit. Like <laughs> the whole crazy thing about this is that when those contracts were signed, that was supposed to be the start of the Wild no longer being boring. That was supposed to be their big push because, remember, this is 2012. This is right in the thick of Chicago having been, like, ha being a being a titan for a while. Like, the Kings and all of the, the Blues. Like, the Western Conference being full of, like, teams that the Wild just never could get past in the postseason. Like, every year they come up on a Chicago or right. a or a Nashville or some or a St. Louis or something. Yeah. Somebody was always just, like, they were always good enough to get in and just never good enough to win, to get past, like, round one or two. Yeah. And Parise and Suter were, like, the big free agents that year in 2012. And they were supposed mm. to be the, the complete change. This was going to be the time where the Wild took over as, like, a big, as the, the stars of the show. And then the lockout happens. They've signed these massive contracts. What was, so it was, like, 13 years? Was it yeah, I think it was 13 matching, years or 12 match, or something. Yeah. yeah, matching 13. Do you remember what, what – I, I wanted to ask you, do you remember where you were when they signed those? Like, do you remember anything about that time – that place in time because again this was this was relatively before we knew that the lockout was going to happen like we had an idea but it wasn't like this uh, it wasn't like this impending doom yet we hadn't gotten yeah. there yet so i wanted to even see if you remember really anything about that period in time because i no, kind of don't other than this i just remember that detroit wanted them badly and when they went to minnesota even though they were minnesota boys it was stunning to see them get them both and for that huge amount of money yeah, uh, I think I've talked about this in the past, but like I, my my early years of like getting on board with like the Canucks kind of began after their cup run, and so 2012 until like 2016 is like a haze. Even though I know I watched mm -hmm. every single game and kept up with the league pretty well, I just don't mm -hmm. remember anything that happened during then. I yeah. do vaguely remember sitting in a bar though, and some guy walked in wearing like a Parise or, or, or yeah, Parise devils Jersey. And he was oh, like, right. That's and right. He was like, this was just after the devils. Pissed. Yeah. This was he was just like, after the devils livid. went to the finals. Yeah. Right. They were like, they were right there. And so I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure I remember being at like Woody's pub and some guy walked in with a Parise Jersey <laughs> and it was on the sports net desk, like matching deals, pictures of the broadcast. And this guy that's is incredible. like super choked. Um, that's incredible. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that feels like ages ago. Like, so Long we talked about our last well, episode, how it last is. season That's felt like it forever. Yeah. Nine years ago, man. That and is they're it. still yeah. on the deals. They still have four years left. Incredible. <laughs> like, just, I, I, 
I'm trying to remember if people thought this was going to go this badly. Like if there was like, I'm sure some, like, I'm sure some people were, had the foresight to go, Oh, this is going to age. This is going to, this is going to age terribly. I don't remember, but I don't remember. I remember if I remember correctly, I remember you, most people, the general thought was among people who weren't like wild fans was that, Oh, this is a great deal. They're going to get two players in their prime who are two of the, like who had led great, who had been huge parts of other teams. And they're going to, they're going to be a real cup contender going forward. I remember mm-hmm. it being more or less a positive, a positive decision. Um, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, I remember, like, I think you mentioned the, the dangle, the dangle discussion, like the whole, like, yeah. one of his most famous rants is how he talked about how much he hates the Minnesota wild because he because they in a way caused the lockout like they pretty like, much those two deals direct, like kickstarted the thing, issue but it was very much a like it's very it's it's a clear representation of what the lockout was it was a, an ownership group giving a insane amount of money in term to two players who probably weren't worth it even at the time uh, and then immediately turning around two months later and going, we're too poor. These players are asking for too much stuff. It's not <laughs> fair. And like it, yeah. it, and this absolute thing of, oh, these billionaires want a break because they're too, they're too trigger happy and too willing to open their own prison. They need to be stopped, saved from themselves. So yes. they're going to take the player's money instead. And by proxy, fans lo- don't get to see games. Because of that, this whole argument, fans will get to see games, people lose jobs, like people in broadcasting and media lose jobs, like everything. It just snowballs. Yeah. Like bars lose money because they don't have, because they're not getting the revenue that they normally would from having games to to show on their TVs and and spend those on like massive sports packages uh, for in their places of business, merchandise isn't selling. Like the the snowball effect of what happened when that lockout hit uh, is obvious is clear and obvious and a lot of it very much gets centers around those two big contracts and them being synonymous with why this was such a terrible thing why it was so bad so for the wild to come around now and say that they are like pulling the plug obviously different regime now yeah like, different same managers owner, same ownership group but different different yeah. gm different gm and everything it's still a little bit of vindication. Like there's still a little bit of a, like serves you right. Yeah, like this you is what you get. Take... You won, you won one or two playoff Congrat- series. Yeah. Congratulations. Over the course of the deals. You, you, you had a massive impact on causing a lockout and then were rewarded by spending this amount of money on two players. And you were rewarded with maybe one playoff win ever. Yeah. One playoff yeah, series Playoff win, revenue for that. like 14 games. Good job. Or no, not you, even. Maybe congratulations. Seven. You did everything you asked for. Well done. Like, just, it seems deserving to an extent. Um, but what is interesting about this whole situation is that um, the Wilder at a bit of a crossroads I don't think we've ever seen before as far as when it cut in the salary cap era is concerned where because like you mentioned, they've now hit this position where they're going to get like hit with a massive cap recapture penalty later on rather than just immediately having it sit at a flat number and go through the whole way through. So, you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Um, they're at this weird spot where they kind of need to blow it. They kind of need to blow up the wild, but they're also not really in don't they're not really in blow it up mode either like they're yeah they're, like they, they can't blow it up right away 
but they but they need to have also, like their eye on it. Yeah, in a weird way. It's very strange. Yeah. Like we've never seen that. We've never seen yeah. that with the team. It's always been it's always been immediate. The 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 impact has always been immediate. This is a weird. Yeah, you've got a year where you could maybe do something, but then after that, you're in a lot of trouble. So yeah, and, I don't and know. That, that's the thing is like most most GM maneuvers, like trades and all that. It's very short sighted because for a GM, they might not be around next year. So all the moves are designed to win now. Like even though a lot of GMs say this is like a long term thing. All these decisions generally are we're looking to you know improve our team right away, so it's very rare to have a have a buyout like this happen where you're like, okay, what was the incentive to get this done right now? Because you're not blowing it up, but you're not in a spot where you're necessarily contending. So what is the next yeah. step for you here? Is it literally just long term thinking only? Which if it is, like. Sure, congrats to bill guerin like that's that's impressive that's because that that's never good. happens um yeah. as i say that though <laughs> uh i just read this uh at joseph d zeta on twitter darren drager on insider training says the minnesota wild will make a trade offer for jack eichel no <laughs> so, way what well that's maybe it's not it's a bit of both it's a bit of short-term middle long-term but if they're going for eichel then, did I not? Did I not say that Kaprizov for Eichel was going to be a thing? Did, did you and I not have this? You literally just said, joke. Like you recently? said that this episode, like 15, 20 minutes ago. Not even. Did I? I don't yeah, think so. That's like literally 15, 20 minutes ago. I don't remember I, that. Oh man. Or maybe that's, maybe you said it in the. It must have been like a preamble passive. in our yeah, recording. Because I'm like, I don't. I I feel like we, you and I, have made this joke before, where we're like. Oh, this is just impending Kaprizov for Eichel, right? Yeah. When we were like kidding about it, but oh my god, somebody actually—that's just the—that's the irony would be though if it's Kaprizov gets traded to Buffalo for Eichel on like alongside like you know Matt Boldy, Matt Dumba, like basically all the guys that they are gonna have to worry about in two years. Instead, yes. they make their their building off point Jack Eichel and Jack Eichel evades a rebuild by joining another <laughs> rebuild. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, I was about to say like yeah. like yeah, right. That's I mean, I don't I I that is fascinating. I didn't even that's, awesome. that's hilarious that you found that. Dude, silly season, oh. silly season. Silly season just keeps season. getting sillier, dude. That's that's what this episode's just going to be called. It's called Silly Season. Yeah. All caps. Um like yeah, this is a weird yeah, like you mentioned, the, the Wild are not really in a spot right now. Like there's no there's there's no eminent success on the way. They're very much in a spot where more or less they're still kind of building towards something good. But yeah. now because they're buying out Parise and Suter, they're not really able to do that anymore. Or at the very least, they've just very quickly shut their window unless magically some team comes along that really needs, again, like we already said, cap floor stuff. Like, I don't know unless another coyote situation comes up where somebody really just is taking big time and they were willing to take on the dead cap uh, for freezing. So actually, I don't even know if you can buy it. If you can trade bio, you probably can't trade. You can't, bio, no, actually. it's no. stuck with the team that buys them out. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so they're screwed. So they're screwed. Is, like, does that mean like Matt Zuccarello is like next on the chopping block? Like, do they expose him in the Seattle expansion draft? Cause he's, he's like I their mean, most expensive forward. 
then at six mil. But then what are you left with? Because then, like, You'll, you're like left with Eric Sinek. Like, you uh, have some good, like, that's the thing. We talked about Eric Sinek getting a decision. What a good move that was for them because mm-hmm. he's young and he's great already. Uh, they, like, the bright side of these deals, like, the, is the fact that they get to protect Matt Dumba. Matt yeah. Dumba is now protect, uh, safe. They don't, they're not going to lose him to Seattle in the expense draft. And that is not nothing. That's a major, that's a big win. Yeah. That's good. That's a huge win for them. Um, but, Outside of that, you're looking at a situation where, again, in a you have basically a year, and you and I talked about this before the show. Where I said, like, if the Wild are do what I, what we kind of would want, what would be fun, it's that they're going to kind of approach this season as okay, because we're about to get hit twenty uh, percent of our cap taken away in a flat cap era. Uh, we're going to go all in this year. And we're gonna we're gonna find like uh, and we're gonna find all the best UFAs and we're gonna give them yeah. the max amount of money we can for one year and go for it and just go for it and see what happens. And I was and I and I looked up on Cap Friendly. I looked up who's a UFA. Ah, Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> Alex Ovechkin. Tuka Rask. Um, Taylor Hall. Like imagine they just come in like a la big three like LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and. Uh, uh, Dwayne Wade uh, signing. They, there's like a big press conference where out of the smoke walks uh, Ovi, Rask, and Taylor Hall in those green Minnesota jerseys, and they're like, Ugh. "Yeah, we're gonna we're we're taking our talents to St. Paul. Like this is <laughs> this is it, right?" I I mean that would be fascinating. I don't think the Wild are fun enough to do that, but no. I mean, well, I, I mean, hey, they're apparently fun enough to make an offer for Jack Eichel. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's but, a thing. I mean, again, I don't know how that helps them. Like, I don't, I don't see how that decision would help them because, like, a, I, well, for the for starters, I don't think that's happening because I think a lot of teams can offer better. Like, I, I think they're yeah. very unless, like, like very clearly, the Rangers could offer a lot better of a package and make a better argument that Eichel would be better served playing for the Rangers because they are closer to contention. Uh, at least from a from a development standpoint, mm-hmm. but I mean, and LA, same thing. Uh, the Knights have uh, a roster full of good players they could offer. Um, like there are so many teams that could offer a lot better. So I don't know. Like you'd have to blow them away. But, yeah. But at which point? What's the point? Yeah. Because like, at that point, you're like, well, what's the point? Of, what's the sense of blowing up what you've been slowly building? towards like i mean they've got like what's what's their goaltender the the rookie yeah. uh, uh capo kakinen right capo kakinen yeah yeah so it's like you found all these pieces like out of nowhere like you pull you pull caprice off out of the fifth round you pull kakonen out of nowhere like you've got all these like little pieces chipping away at like you know maybe developing a contender in a couple of years which is going to be hard like I like your approach. Just like go through free agency, do the Jason Spezza thing, find guys willing to play on one year or two year deals that are really cheap. But like suddenly being like, we're going to trade Matt Boldy. We're going to trade, you know, Carson Soucy. We're going to trade our first, our second, and you know, everything we've got in the books to get Jack Eichel. So we can have a single year of hopefully, building a contender for one year before we're back to being in the dumps and restarting. Like that doesn't make any sense unless someone said to Bill Guerin, Hey, you need need to get us back 
in the playoffs right away, but we also want these two guys off the books. I mean, I, I mean, now that you say that, that could make some sense. I mean, the pandemic obviously hit lots of businesses pretty hard. The NHL has definitely got hit. Like you, like what did we talk? What was the recent figure? Like they lost like twenty billion dollars, something, something like that. Yeah, something like an astronomical amount of money. And yeah. I'm assuming that's divided among the 32 teams in various ways. Like, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Minnesota potentially, maybe it is just about that. Maybe it is the, maybe it's just the fact that they're hurting so financially, maybe they're hurting financially ownership wise. And so they're just kind of like, look, we need a team that can win. Now we need a team that will get butts and seats and spending a premium on our franchise. The best way for us to do that is to make one or two years where we just go for it and we build the best possible team we can for the shortest for short term. Maybe that is it. Maybe that is what they're going for. Um, it, and they might not be, that might be a pretty smart call. There aren't a lot of teams buying right now. So maybe that's in your best interest. Maybe you can just magically turn something into turn this into a one magical run. It happens. It's it, yeah. stranger things have happened before. Um, I, I think it's possible. I will say the funniest part about all of this is, uh, I don't know if you saw, uh, Mike Halford posted the screen grab from, uh, the situation when they got, when they found out this is an, an another great athletic piece by, uh, Michael Russo. Uh, yeah. uh, this is just like the quote where he's like, um, the wild, uh, he, Bill Guerin called Ryan Suter first and it went to voicemail. So the wild called general manager called Zach Rize naturally in the middle of a Tuesday morning workout next. I was caught off guard. The now former face of the Wild franchise said, I had a feeling something was going to happen, but when it does happen, you're still shocked. Uh, and then later he goes on to say that uh, uh, Suter tried to lift Parise's spirits. He even told him that, funny enough, he himself had missed a call from Garrett. That's when Garrett's, oh, because I guess Suter, Suter didn't know. Yeah. Suter, uh, that's when Garrett suddenly called again. The veteran defenseman answered and was blindsided with the exact same news that he too was being bought out of the final four years of his contract. That call with Garrett wasn't as lengthy or as friendly. Suter, <laughs> never ever envisioning that the Wild would actually buy out both contracts at the same time, hung up on the GM. Yeah, I hung up on I heard that on the radio today. They were like, apparently they that. Like I just, you know, spent most of this time praising Minnesota for maybe thinking long term. But apparently Bill Guerin didn't even ask either Parise or Suter if they were willing to even waive their NMCs to go to Seattle. They just like were well, like, we're I, cutting bait. They didn't even bother. I mean, to I don't think you could. I mean You could. I think that's I, I don't know. I don't think Seattle would take them. I think for the same reason that Suter's, they wouldn't take uh, Don. I don't, but that it's, it's, it's not about that so much as the cap hit. I don't think they've taken unless you're like giving them something huge in return. I well, like I was going to say, like, what if you were like, if you're Bill Guerin, you're like, Hey, Seattle, we'll give you Ryan Suter 50% retained. If you don't take Matt Dumba or Jordan Greenway and we'll give you, you know, whatever picks you want. Then you're like, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's maybe, tough. But, Maybe? But like, at least get the topic. I mean, we don't, we were not privy to all the conversations, but like maybe, right. maybe he sourced this out from Ron Francis and was like, oh, I can't make any deal. They are going to go after Matt Dumba because I don't know if we talked about this on our last episode, but Ron Francis pretty much told David Poyle outright, uh, I'm coming after Victor Arvidsson. So right. David Poyle reacted in a panic and traded Victor Arvidsson to LA for nothing. Um, 
Well, so he got Rob- something, which was better than yeah. nothing. I mean, yeah, he got something on it instead of nothing, but I mean, in the sense like a second round pick, like two lottery picks for like like a top line winger sucks I, if you're David Poyle. But also it kind of it raised my eyebrows because I was like, you're really not going to protect Victor Arvidsson at the expansion well, draft? Like, like, they are you a, insane? They probably have. Well, that's probably the thing. They probably have other. They might have other pieces warranting either warranting. Protection protection or that they have to protect and they can't get rid of. So they might've just had to go, well, we're going to lose him. We might as well get something for him rather than nothing. Cause sure. Um, I don't I do, know, man, like, I'm looking at their list and it's like, like, really? This is who you're, you never this know. is who you'd be protecting. Maybe it's, it's possible. I mean, the, yeah, I, I think with the wild, I don't, I, I, I mean, I don't really think they could have like I don't think I don't think there was any way in hell Seattle was going to take either of those players because of how much that cap was going to that the massive amount of money they're going to have to pay him and and also you mentioned the whole cap penalty thing aspect to it like I don't think the wild like the idea of letting them out of Minnesota essentially like essentially giving up the collateral like giving up the protection like if they were like like let's say you're keeping them like let's say you keep the two players they stay on the team you don't buy them out let's say Mm. they're still there you at least get to control what happens with them right because like you can just like where whereas one team might because they have there's nothing there's no risk for them involved they would just be like okay uh when Sutter and when Suter and Parise are ready to go I said Sutter because that's probably the next because that's the next topic we're talking about um like they're just going to retire and then boom while get dinged with the massive cap penalty. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you can like leave them in, in house, uh, you can be like, well, you know, they're going to go on LTIR or right. they're going to be transitioning it's a season to ending, other ending injury. There's season ending injury or, you know, that sort of thing. We're going to graciously pay the rest of the contract. Like you can control that aspect. Right. Yeah. Um, where so I I think that has to play into it a little bit too because obviously for Seattle if they felt they weren't good anymore they're like okay uh, we want you to retire please leave yeah, kind yeah. of thing and please have a have a injury or a disease yeah. or illness that and, you haven't mentioned yeah, in your and entire it's no, career and it's no skin off their nose because they're not going to get hit with any cap penalties yeah um, well they might have got hit with a small one but still I don't think they were going to take them I think the Wild made the only decision that outside of keeping them, that was really possible. I just, I, I don't, I don't see a possibility. A sin, I, I don't think that was necessarily a bad thing. I just don't think they were going to get Seattle to take either of those guys. So they, well, they certainly weren't going to get to take, get them to take both, which is the main thing, right? Like they mm-hmm. weren't going to get them to take both. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think the wild did the most. The, uh, I don't know if it's the, I don't really know. I don't know if it's the smartest thing at the very least. It's the most, it's the most effective, I guess, is the way to put it. Like it's the most yeah. direct, immediately effective decision they could have made. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't know what their their overall goal is. The Eichel trade offer kind of drops a huge like wrench. Just in, like, completely, the idea. completely sends it in a different direction, which would yeah, be fascinating because, within itself. Because if you didn't know about the Eichel trade, you'd be like, okay, like this all is uh, remains to be seen of what they plan to do in the short term and long term. But then you hear the Eichel trade, and you're like. Oh, okay, I have no idea what they're planning to do with the cap space they've just created. Um, yeah, so who knows? It's very much. It it really could just be as simple as we're going to go for it for one year and see how it goes. It could be, or <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, 
who knows? They'll either way, they're a very fascinating team to watch, which is the first time we've ever said that about the Wild. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Does that which yeah. is the most that can be ever said about the Minnesota Wild? Um, other news. Can, we wish we didn't have to say that about the Canucks, yeah. but and right now we don't have to. But this, yes. there was a little bit of a nugget. This is the most exciting stuff. thing Canucks fans may have heard in ages. But uh, <laughs> according to Elliot Friedman on Sportsnet 650 in his afternoon interview uh, with the Reach Deep program. Um, Brandon Sutter probably not coming back. End right. quote. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I I mean, so like, I wanted to ask you about this because I I have seen some people like talk about the fact that um you know Sutter on a cheap short contract like uh, Daniel Wagner I believe wrote a whole article about how it's. That might actually how it might be in their best interest in worth it to them to consider the idea of say another year of Sutter at a very at a low cost uh, option as a low cost option for your bottom six again and I but I think and I think maybe a, a good amount of that was based on the idea that Jay Beagle was not going to be able to play this year uh, this next year and which did seem like a thing but now right apparently he's going to be ready for training camp so I guess mm-hmm. that's not a case anymore. Um, was this is this the right call? Do you see this as the right call for the Canucks? Like letting oh like, yeah, even, uh, if, even if even if this wasn't a decision made by them, maybe this is Sutter making the decision himself. Is this the right call? Uh, I, if you're not watching our YouTube video, you could definitely see me shaking my head in disbelief. <laughs> yes, the entire his eyes. the entire resign Brandon Sutter to a cheap deal thing to me is Stockholm syndrome. It's like I don't know what the what the fuck people expect from Brandon Sutter at this point. Like he's not a distributor. He's not a defensive center. He's not anything. He hey, is he a guy. He a hat trick against Ottawa once. How dare you? Hey, great. It took him his entire fucking career to get a hat trick in his career. Great. Um, yeah, this, this is complete Stockholm syndrome shit. Every time I read a take from like prominent media members being like, Oh yeah, you know, Sutter on a cheap deal is a good thing. Like, no, get a good player on this fucking lineup for your 3C. I'm fucking done with Sutter. I'm done with Beagle. Let's have, let's, like, the bar is so fucking low for Canucks fans and their expectations of this team. And for whatever reason, there's a chance here where people are like, okay, we can move on from the Sutter and the Beagle of the world. Beagle might be injured. Sutter's a UFA. back. And, and there's a chance to raise the bar like half an inch and people are like, well, no, I think Sutter could be actually a really good contributor as a fourth line contributor. Like he's not a good fourth line contributor now and he's shit. Like move on. Let's get better players on the team. I'm so sick of hearing this shit. He's garbage. I'm, move on. Like, look, I'm tired. Of, I'm tired of Tyler Myers, but we're not getting rid of him anytime soon. So like, uh, what do you do? Like you that's know, kind of the, that's kind that, of the problem here is that uh, honestly, like, here's the thing, you know, why you don't want Brandon Sutter back is more really, I would say more in a way to do with all the players that are still here. Like if we, if you told me like if Louis Erickson wasn't here, if Tyler Myers isn't here, if all those big boat anchor contracts were gone, suddenly Brandon uh, Sutter on a one year, two year contract seems at least a little bit more like less sour honestly, tasting. Like a no, little bit. At least no. a little bit. Really? No. Oh, it's not, honestly it's that no, it's, it's, ju- okay. it's just like that's it's, fair. It's a it's an issue of you know what you've got Principle. now. Right? Like yeah. it's if they re-sign 
Brandon Sutter to like a one year deal, right? And it's like league minimum. It's like, okay, but you're not getting the Sutter you even got when you first traded for him. You're getting 33 or 32 or whatever, 31 year old Brandon Sutter who is operating on one <laughs> knee. Fact, he, it'd be like he's 24. Yeah, like, I know. He, they're going to be like, like oh my God. he's Lachlan's age. He's 27. Yeah, he just turned, he just turned 26. Like, yeah, it just, that's how I feel about it. It's just like, it's the same thing when it's going to happen when Tyler Myers is expiring too. They're going to be like, oh, you know, he can chew minutes. He can't produce anymore and he can't uh, defend the rush still. But, you know, at a million bucks a season, like he's a great option. And it's like, no, like, don't, don't you people want the team to be better than Brandon Sutter on your fourth and third line? Like, look at, right. like, like, are we not watching the same playoffs where Steven Samkos can slide down and play third line minutes because he's got Barclay Goudreau and Blake Coleman playing 19 minutes a night. And that as, team as, still as like almost, a million dollars. And that team needed a game seven to get out of the Eastern Conference Finals. So yeah, like, yeah. I just I'm so done with the Stockholm syndrome and the the just being like, well, we know what we got. And I kind of get it from like hockey media and like from fan base perspective. Like Brandon Sutter at a million dollars for one year. Is obviously sounds a lot better than Jim Benning going to free agency and being like, oh, I'm going to sign Andrew Kopp to a six-year, $32 million contract. I get that. Right. Like, the the devil you know is worse than the devil you don't. I understand right. that, but my head is in the point or the perspective of I'm just sick of watching the same lineup get trotted out year after year and the only saving grace is the drafted prospects coming in and giving them a chance because that's all it's been during the entire benning tenure is a prospect coming in and wowing the shit out of the fan base and giving the canucks a fighting chance like right. that i'm, I'm done with that they did not make it to Game Seven against the Knights two years ago because of Brandon Sutter. They made exactly. it because of guys like Thatcher Demko and because yes. of uh, Pedersen and Besser yeah. and Hughes. They and Horvat. They made it for those guys. Yeah, right? like in a per, in a perfect world, next season when Vasily Podkolzin comes in, we're not like the fan base isn't looking at Podkolzin as this guy is the saving grace for the Canucks bottom six. And maybe he gets in the top six because he he wows just like Hoglander wows. And it's like if you just had a better bottom six center or bottom six makeup, you wouldn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Like a rookie kid coming in and playing above his contract, yeah. he could just play the game of hockey, and the expectations would come later. Instead, mm -hmm. it's like oh man, if uh, Pod Colson can't uh, elevate. 48 year old Brandon Sutter on this fourth line against uh, the top six of Washington. Oh man, his development screwed. It's like, no, just get better players, raise the standard hey. just a bit higher than what it is. Even like, you know what? Hell in a perfect world, the Canucks are a much better hockey team right now where the situation is like, okay, we just need depth. Maybe Brandon Sutter on a league minimum deal for one year where he might spend more time on the bench or in the press box, press. sorry, rather than playing a full box, 82, yeah. uh, rather than playing a full 82 is possible. 
And that makes sense for us to try, but they're not that close. They're nowhere yeah. near that close. They might, again, we've, we've already said in the show because of other teams, they might accidentally stumble into a third place uh, in the Pacific division. Uh, at, the rate, at the rate news is dropping, it seems like that it's like the ranking goes up like a day, every day. Yeah. All <laughs> you're waiting right now is to see if Calgary does something silly. Uh, and is. then all of a sudden you're in second place. Oh, yeah, all of a sudden you yeah, have home ice advantage in round one. Suddenly um, Vegas trades away Alex Petrangelo because they don't feel like the experiment's working, and they acquire Jack Eichel, and Jack Eichel is a can't locker room cancer, so they implode next season. Maybe. 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 That's what you happens. have no idea. Who knows? Uh, why, don't we, why don't we hit on the other – we'll quickly hit on the last two pieces because – we're going really long on this and this has, been a, good, this has been a hefty there's going to be even more by tomorrow morning. Like I can just sense that this well, week is going to have crazy news. The Abbotsford yeah. The Abbotsford things tomorrow. tomorrow. So there's that we're already going to yeah. have that to talk about. And then, yeah, there's a lot more coming up. So, yeah. yeah. So last, uh, uh, last two things, um, Nashville's Pekka Rene retires, um, as a Nashville fan, it was always tough watching him in Nashville because he was fucking amazing during the years when like the skater, the skaters on the team weren't playing great. And then the years where the skaters were actually playing great, Pecorine wasn't really good enough to carry them through playoffs. And the one time when both groups were kind of good. Okay. They've made it to a cup final and lost to Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, Renee's rad. Like Renee's one of the few players where like, like, you know, scouting and you know how they always use the term like, Oh, or Canucks fans always joke like, oh, so-and-so found Pedersen. It's like Pedersen w- wasn't found. When you're a nut, when you're a top, you know, 200, top 100 prospect, you're not really found so much as everyone knows you exist. It's just about where you fall on the rankings board. And or how, how many GMs in front of you are silly enough to let you drop, to let you drop yeah. that far. Yeah, right. great point. Um, but Pecorine was like, playing sixth tier Finnish hockey and a scout saw him in like a couple games watching like beer league or something and was like, yeah, if we have a seventh round pick and the let like whatever, and he's not taken, like, I think this guy could be something that's finding a player and man, did they find a player Vesna Vesna winner? Like arguably if, if, um, if Nashville had figured out how to beat, the penguin speed and could actually finally score and Ryan Johansson doesn't so get that injured. injury. Yeah. yeah they got if, so injured. I think if Johansson does that like impact injury thing, they probably give Pekka Rene the con Smythe for that year because he was yeah. so good on a yeah. team that like was really fun to watch. Their fan base is annoying as shit, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think they're fun, but either way, um, I remember, like, my first, like, I, we've talked about this a little bit before, because I think we we knew that the end was probably coming for Pekka, yeah. like, pre- like relatively recently, especially because, you know, UC Soros has taken over a net for the Predators yeah. and everything. Um, um, but I've said before that the very first time I really got, I really got introduced to Pekka Rene as a goaltender was in 2011 when the Canucks made their their cup final run. They ran they played Nashville in round 2. This was fresh off of slaying the Dragon against Chicago. There was yeah. no there was not no there was never this this was it was the first time in ages that the Canucks were going into a second round playoff series and there was 
not really any worry that they weren't going to win. It was a very much a, oh, well, this is, this is a gimme. They're going to get through Nashville. No problem. And it's going to yeah. be whoever we're, it's all about who's you're going to meet in the conference finals at this point. And I remember maybe some people were a little less confident, but that was at least my thought process was, oh, they're actually going to win our second round. That being said, Pecorine <laughs> made it a lot more interesting. Yes. Like, he, I, I remember watching some of the, the saves he was making, the way that the Canucks, like, in some games, struggled to get offense going, and which ended up being a bit of a an omen for what would happen in the final. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just, they ran into a goal. They came up against a goaltender who was playing just out of his mind. Like, just clearly dragging the Predators, kicking and screaming to two wins in that series. Inclu- two, both of which were in Vancouver, one of which was, an, I believe, a one nothing OT victory. So he yeah. he he outplayed Luongo at the he made it a much end. Yeah, he yeah. made it a much closer series than it really ought to have been. Yeah, like literally, and again, whenever I hear someone say about, say that, oh, Luongo cost him the cup. Um, I'm sorry, but he had to. Do you do realize how he had to outduel Pekka Rene to win that yeah. series as well? Right, like he yeah. had to. He had to be just as good as Pekka Rene in that series and hope that his off the offense showed up. And some nights it didn't. Some nights Ryan Kessler just turned into Superman. Yeah, but I it was one or the coming, other. Yeah, and I but I remember coming out of that series, even though the Canucks had won thinking that, oh my God, this kid's going to be great. Like I had never heard of him before. And I was like, this guy's going to be an amazing goaltender. Uh, like in the future, he's going to be huge for this team. And he turned into, he was spectacular. Sure. Had some years where he was inconsistent, had yeah. some tough times. Like there was the, I, the Winnipeg series, uh, the year they won the president's trophy comes to mind. But even up to that point, I think that was the year he won the Vesna because of how good he had been during the regular season. Correct, yeah. Um, he was a phenomenal goaltender. He really changed he was he changed the Predators as a franchise. Like that team, a lot of people forget nowadays. That team was on the verge of like moving. Like they were so close to moving because yeah. they weren't winning a lot of games. They weren't making a lot of crossroads at the box office because they weren't that interesting a team. Pecorine single-handedly changed that. Like all of the stuff that came after it, the gold jerseys, the catfish on the ice thing, the the PK Subban coming to town, like all of the things that came after that, like and the cup final runs, the fact that they've now considered one of the best hockey markets in the NHL and one of the best places to go see a game, that's yeah. entirely because of Pekka Rinne and what great goaltending he gave them. Like they, the Predators would not be here today without him. And I would not be surprised if he ends up being the first player not only, not only the first like player who gets to the Hall of Fame, the Hockey Hall of Fame, specifically because of what he did in Nashville, because mm-hmm. I do think that matters. Like I think, I, I think, it, I think when you get to the Hall of Fame, like Hall of Fame criteria goes beyond just stats. I think it goes with your contributions to the sport and how it matters. I think he's going to get his jersey retired at the very least. He's going to get his jersey retired by the Predators and be the first player that happens for it. and. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Incredible they'll, goaltender. They'll incredible. probably retire his jersey like the first. I mean, Nashville loves to retire shit and throw it in their banners. So I'd be shocked if they haven't already done it by throwing <laughs> his jersey up there. 
yeah, Western con or what is it? Western conference Western division season. champions or something yeah. in the regular season, something yeah. stupid they'll, like that. They'll, they'll retire his jersey twice. They'll find two ways to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll be I, like, I here's his They'll be like, here's the Rene regular season banner, and here's the playoff banner for <laughs> like. Yeah. That would um, be very funny. Like, there's playoff Rene and uh, yeah, and regular yeah. season Rene, two banners at once. Yeah, two different. That would be very funny. Yeah, um, yeah, he had a great career, tremendous career. Yeah, uh, poor out a cold one for old Pekka Rene. Uh, yeah. And last one as we as we close out. Not really much to discuss about this, but if you get a chance um, after this podcast, look up uh, what happened to the the Stanley Cup while what on the so what, Tampa Bay's so what boat actually parade. happened? What they have no idea. Happened? They just they just said they just showed up. Dead they just showed up in a picture that it was like completely damaged, and people they didn't like explicitly say like oh, it was dropped or anything, but it was just like clear like someone had clearly just smashed the shit out of it. And someone it was, had made a mistake. Yeah. Somebody basically, instead of a bowl, it was turned into like a cube. It was yeah, very funny. Very so they got they got it took it away from them. And yeah, it's uh, going to Montreal. It. It's going back to Montreal for repairs. Yeah, yeah it's coming home. Funny. Uh, um, and like I I did see some people like I, I saw very few people for the record, very few people because I think yeah. most people know better. But like some people were like disrespect. How dare you disrespect? It's like okay, uh, clearly you don't know the full history of the cup that thing has been just has been abused for a long time read like, any story about the cup from like the 90s and the 80s and you'll be like the, like why does anyone to like touch the, this filthy thing yeah go back to like the night one of my favorite stories is from like i like the 1900s where uh i think what are the like the original ottawa senators had the cup and they'd won it like four times at this point five times in a row at this point or whatever like a, like a, an insane amount of times and one of them was like, "Hey, I wonder if we can kick this thing across the Rideau Canal." <laughs> and they and so they just literally gave it a football like lined up <laughs> and kicked it field Brilliant. goal style, and it didn't make it. And they had to like, and of course, this is back when there wasn't exactly like electricity like freely running around. So somebody had to somebody had to wait until the morning when it was bright out to go and get it off the ice like of the, the frozen canal because it's just. Literally a death trap. Yeah, because it's just like wow. yeah, it's like and it's dark. Like that was I love that. Like literally, there are so many stories of stuff like that where it's like it's just been like beaten up in so many different ways. And there's also like five of them. So it's like it's yeah, like who cares? There are replicas. There are a few replicas. It is a little different in the sense of like, you know, like the World Series, they make a new trophy every year. I th- actually I think in all other of the big four, every year it's a new trophy. So like they the when you win your version is stays with the team or whatever that wins it. So like they make a new one every single year. Whereas the cup is one of the few where it's like, this is the, this is the cup kind of thing. Right. Correct. But there's still like a few extra versions of it for safety and for other reasons. So like maybe settle down. This happens a lot. This happens much more than you think. They like their babies take a shit in the bowl. Like like that was a thing that happened. Somebody that did happen as well. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I believe that an avalanche player uh, when they won, like, their kid like uh just yeah. like yeah you, you know like the the most disgusting stories happen behind the scenes like and we don't hear yeah, about it. so like honestly yeah, right yeah, yeah. don't don't all don't sweat see, it getting dented once it's yeah, not the worst thing that's happened the, this thing in the videos of people's days with the cup of like their kids eating ice cream out of it like that's the that's a that's a lighter side of things um yeah it's yeah 
yeah, get over it. Yeah, it's yeah, but it, it'll check be it out before you uh, while you still can uh, Google still, the uh, it, it the picture of it because it's very embarrassing. It's Otherwise, very folks, thanks for hanging out with us for the past like hour and forty minutes or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Always appreciate your guys' listenership. If you get a chance, listen to us on or sorry, rate and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Anchor, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Amazon, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever fucking podcast whatever. service you use. We appreciate it as always. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon. That's Patreon at Cree or what is it? Patreon.com slash Creasecast. We have dollar and five dollar tiers where you can subscribe to exclusive content always being churned out by Lachlan himself and our exclusive episodes when we get time to do it. Our last uh, podcast episode was pretty much like a, a Patreon episode because we had so little hockey to talk about. And that's why you're getting this double omega dosage of hockey content today. I don't like think I it'll said, be like that again for a while. So no, it's going to be silly lot, season for the out. next couple weeks at the very least. It's going to be yeah. absolute mania in the hockey world. I am Cody Sievertson. You can follow me at Cody Sievertson on Twitter and my website, CometsHarvest.com. Lachlan Irvine, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and also sometimes TikTok at Lock in the Crease. And you can also find my writing work at LockInTheCrease.com. I post articles there from time to time. Check it out, why don't you? All right, fe- or sorry, fellas and ladies and all peoples of the earth, we love you so fucking much, and we'll see you on the next episode, bitch. Lots Bye. of swearing. Bye. <laughs>